Hello, welcome to the AWS Developers Podcast. My name is Morgan Willis. I'm joined by Dave and Claire Ligori today, who is a senior principal software engineer at AWS. And today we're gonna to be talking about Amazon Q. We're gonna be focusing on some of the capabilities of Q related specifically to developer work, as well as talking about Q in general. So that way you can get a better idea of what Q is and what it does. I'm really excited about this episode and to learn more about what you've been working on. So Claire, how are you doing? What have you been working on lately? Good, I'm all about developers lately and generative AI. So that's been a really exciting, uh, about a year since I've, jumped into generative AI and figured out how we can help developers with it. Amazing. Yeah, I, I've been using Q, Amazon Q myself, uh, when I've been developing some applications. And it's just such a cool uh, tool. And it's also just, I think it's really changing the way that I code and it's making me a lot more productive. So uh, let's get into it. Can you tell us a little bit about what Q is, Amazon Q? So Amazon Q is, I like to think of it as your assistant throughout your day for whatever kind of work or tasks you're doing that day. So there are a few different um, kind of flavors of Amazon Q. One is Q for business, where you can connect a conversational assistant to internal data like we have an um, one in Amazon that's connected to internal Wikidata. So we can have a conversation with Q about um, topics that are internal and it comes back with, with responses that are based on an, our internal data. Then there's a Q Builder, which is what I focus most of my time on, which is focused on developers' work. What are, what are the things that developers do all day? And then we have some others like Q and QuickSight that focuses on helping you to build dashboards and, and explore your data. And then um, Q and Connect to help out um, contact center um, staff. And then coming soon is Q in AWS supply chain. So lots of different types of work that might happen within your business. And I like to think that there's kind of a flavor of Q or a capability of Q for for any type of work that you might be doing during your day. I love that. I So I just have to say, Q and Code Whisperer, and I would say Gen AI in general, it's like my mental health is through the roof. It's hard to explain, and maybe this is just like being an INFJ, and when I would code, it, like when I was in an office all day in coding, I had people to talk to, and like, what's the latest framework or why do I suck at this? And I feel like with these AI friends I have, it's even in my games, like World of Warcraft has a thing now where I have a whole party that are AI friends, right? I had, and like when I create art now, like I'm using AI and it's just, I don't feel alone anymore. And I don't know if it's just me. And I know everybody's got a different opinion about this, but everything that you have all built, Claire, like, the way I would I describe it to people is my excitement's back. It got rid of the, oh, Dave, you're so stupid. You're using the, you're doing it wrong. You're doing the, this silly. You're not using the right framework. People are going to laugh at you to the fun again. And I am, it's like magic to me. Like I, I've been in, um, although I guess I've talked about this on the podcast before. Yes, I did uh, an episode on Web3 with Nader. So I've been into blockchain for like six years now. And I'm like, you know, what? I'm finally going to code it. So I actually built a Solana decentralized app using Rust, never had done either before, 
with Q and Code Whisperer. And Q was like, yeah, this is a smart contract. This is Rust. These are crates. This is how you do it. Would you like? And I'm like making unit tests. And then Code Whisperer, I'm going through and it's like tab, tab, tab. And it's and and I'm like, I'm actually, it felt like I had a friend that was like, oh, I'll show you how to do this, Dave. It's not hard. And I just want to get that point across before, because I had my soul crushed by my brother-in-law with my nephew. He was like, my, uh, my nephew, want, he's like, he wants to be a, a developer. And I told him, no. I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, all that stuff's going to be written by AI. And I'm like, no way. Like all the studies show a human being plus AI is 10x just AI. And I feel like until I started using Code Whisper and Q, like every day that I didn't see that. And so kudos to your team. And, and, and I think this is such an important episode. If you've been feeling that as a developer, like this stuff is real and it's happening today. So thank you. And I just wanted to say that. Um, absolutely. I, one of the, you know, when you, when you talk about kind of feeling alone and actually like how, how generative AI can change you, the way that you feel about what you're doing is, is resonates with me really strongly. Um, one of the AI assistants that actually inspired me really early on when I was getting into generative AI is called Pi, P-I. Um, and what's interesting about this one, you know, I think all of the AI assistants kind of have a personality. Uh, Q is very focused on work, but Pi is very focused on kind of your your personal interests and you as a as a person yeah. who's kind of, you know, dealing with stuff in their life, of course. And so talking to Pi is actually kind of talking to a therapist. <laughs> um, you, you talk to it and, and um, you know, you ask it for advice and it's very validating when it comes back with a response. It says, oh, that sounds really hard. Um, you yeah. know, tell me more about that. And um, so that was just very inspiring for me as, as um, you know, this is not a just a robot, right? You can give it a lot of personality so that it helps with kind of where, you, where your state of mind is or what you're trying to accomplish. Um, but for developers, what I was really excited about with Q is kind of two things. So, you know, we, we talked about Amazon Q being for your work. And really the genesis of Q Builder was how much more productive can we make developers using generative AI? And we started out thinking uh, about how much toil can we remove for developers? How much of the work that you actually don't really want to do throughout your day um, help, you know, how can we take that off your plate? But one of the things I noticed as we started to uh, play with this technology and kind of see the boundaries of it was actually how creative it can help you be. So it can really spark your creativity. Um, so one example is um, one day I was um, trying to come up with it, like a demo application for something. And I was having a hard time coming up with just interesting ideas. And I went and I asked Q um, in the, the chat in the IDE, and you know, I said, well, I'm, th this is the technology that I'm trying to illustrate can you help me come up with like four or five ideas for what the demo could do? Like what kind of application should I build to illustrate this technology? And that was so helpful because it, it came back with a list and it wasn't perfect. It wasn't exactly what I would do, but it was, it was that kind of spark of creativity for me to yeah. come up with a different idea for that, for the application. And I 
was able to go back and forth and have a conversation and say, well, that's not exactly what I'm looking to illustrate with the demo, or that piece is not particularly interesting, but this piece is interesting. So that's been kind of an aha moment for me is just that, that, um, the, the little sparks that it can give you um, to kind of get your brain moving. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, you know, just to kind of echo what Dave is saying as well, you know, I used to develop software in a team setting in person where I was in my little cube and I could just roll on over to my teammates desk like, hey, I'm having an issue. I don't know what's going on. Can you come help me? And they can help me debug and we chat about it, or whatever. But now that I'm coding primarily from home by myself. I don't work on a software development team, but I do coding for uh, providing like demos, like you were saying, proof of concepts. And I also do some side work as well. Having Amazon Q there, it's like having a teammate that I can talk to and help debug issues. And I love how you can even do things like highlight code and say, can you explain to me what this is doing? And so it's actually helped me like deepen my understanding of the code that I am working with as well, which I think is just really awesome. So it's like, it can help you be more productive because you can write code faster. But I think also it's like, uh, it can be a bit of like your mentor with coding, right? It can help you understand things more. So I think that um, Amazon Q is a really versatile tool and service that can that we can all of us developers can use in our day to day. So yeah, I'm really excited about this service, um, especially because coding alone isn't as much fun as coding with someone that you can talk to. So this gives me someone to talk to without me having to go like bother my husband who's non technical, and he doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> and I think what's interesting about where I think generative AI and, and Amazon Q specifically will go is what those interaction modes are. So when you are chatting with your your AI assistant Q, it's very one-on-one. It's kind of your buddy that you're chatting with, which is super helpful. But I think we're, what we're going to see is we'll take that even farther to truly being a teammate, as you said, Morgan, where um, it is part of your team. You are, you know, you might be on a, a software development team and Q is another team member. So an example of this is Amazon Q in Code Catalyst, where um, you can actually assign issues like tasks in your software backlog to Q. So you can literally assign the task to it and Q goes off and um, comes up with a plan of how to um, implement that task like um, go add an API that does this to this service, and Q will open a pull request to your team, just like any other member of your team would do, and you you review it just like any other member of your team. Um, but it's able to take on um, either some tasks that are you know toil um, for the developers on your team, or or just tasks where you know again you need that spark of creativity maybe. Um, but I think that's a really interesting kind of interaction pattern that we're going to see um, more and more where it is kind of part, part of the group. Um, so we're going to, um, I think that's that's one of the things that's been really interesting with me in generative AI is, is what the new user experiences are that we need to be um, creating. So you mentioned Code Catalyst and using Amazon Q as like a teammate in your Code Catalyst projects. And so my understanding of it right now is that you can iterate with Amazon Q on what it's doing. So like if it creates a pull request, you can say like, um, you know, 
do maybe tweak this, do this a different way and provide feedback. So you're iterating on that. Uh, is that correct? That's right. So this feature we call Q feature development, meaning it can take on building not just a, a function or a line of code, but actually an entire feature for you in your software application. And the way that it works is that the first thing is, is it that it does, instead of just kind of going and generating code based on your description of what you want, it generates a plan, so a development plan. It looks at what are all of the different files that I need to update? Do I need to update uh, your dependencies file? Do I need to update some, uh, maybe your API definition file? And then what new classes do I need to create in your application? What new files? And it gives you this detailed plan of how it's going to go about this development task. And you can kind of think of it like, you know, with a new member of your team, you would probably have them come up with that plan first with their first you know, software uh, development task on your team. Um, but what that gives you is an opportunity before you kind of jump into the code, an opportunity to um, give feedback, as you said, to iterate. So you can say, oh, you're, you, you know, Q, you forgot to um, add uh, some bits to this file or actually don't touch that file. I, I, I don't want you to, to add anything there. And you can go back and forth until you're happy with the plan. And then once you're happy, you can say, okay, I approve this, go off and generate the code and do the pull request. And then of course, like any other pull request, you can iterate within that pull request and say, you know, give detailed comments on specific lines of code or overall comments on the approach. Uh, and then Q can go off and do a new revision of that pull request based on your feedback. So it's very back and forth, very similar to, um, you know, very familiar to how you probably already do software development on a team today. That's kind of where some of this like prompt engineering stuff comes into this as well, right? Like being very deliberate about your prompts. All of that is uh, true for, you know, gener generative AI applications in general, but that also applies to Amazon Q. So I appreciate you kind of laying out that whole um, feature development aspect of this. I think that's really awesome. And it would, it helps people that maybe they don't know where to start on a task, but also like you're saying, it can just automate some of the work that like, I'm trying to get to this, you know, more specific um, high value piece of this feature, but I have to come up with all of this boilerplate stuff and this plan first. So I love that um, Amazon Q can, can help us get there. And you're so right that prompt engineering is becoming part of our, our skills as developers um, right. to be able to, you know, ask, be very uh, specific in the questions that we, that we ask of our AI assistant and, and the instructions that we give. Um, but I think that's where, you know, when, when I go back to what are the UX patterns that are important with generative AI um, there's a, I think Werner Vogels talked about this in his reInvent keynote, the pattern of ask, adjust, iterate. So meaning um, when you interact with an AI power, generative AI powered application, it's important that you know, you're going to ask it to do something. You're going to ask a question or you're going to give it some tasks to do. And then you're probably going to want to adjust 
So in the Q feature development example, you're adjusting the plan by giving feedback, or sometimes you're going to want to just jump right into the code that it generated and, and edit it just a little bit because it wasn't exactly what you needed. Um, and then you're going to continue to iterate on, um, on what it's generated or, or iterate on, on kind of the next part of that task. Um, so there's a lot of um, kind of collaboration that happens with these user experiences with AI. I love it. And thank you for mentioning Code Catalyst. We had Doug and Harry on, and that was a big, what came out of that episode, what I heard from some of the heroes and the listeners was, oh, Q is actually a team member. Like no one ever saw that. And that was like a really cool thing is AI team members and working together. And I just want to say, you know, speaking of prompt engineering, Amazon Q can be fun. I mean, this is a Dave thing, but when I was in Rust and I had, so in Rust, you have these structs, right? Typical programming language. And it was kind of boring, uh, my struct. Like it was basically, <laughs> I haven't been working out as much as I should. And I'm like, oh, I'm horrible. I look horrible. So I'm like, I'm going to make this app that basically reminds me how many more I need to do. And I've only done this much, right? So I have this struct that's like workouts. It's just, you know, I64 type. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I feel like having a little fun. So I highlighted the piece of code. I went in the queue and I said, we're a wizard and it's Dungeons and Dragons, rewrite this. And it did. And it made healing potions, mana potions. It said Elven Tower. And I'm like, how are you a nerd? Like, <laughs> like where is this coming from? It just created the, you know, it's like earn trust between human beings. And I was like, this is fun. Like, and so it did that. And I feel like, you know, uh, you were you were mentioning too, like it was almost like therapy when with Pi. There's an open source project called Chat GPT for All that I have run on an old MacBook just because I don't want to put private stuff. But it's like I'll ask it philosophical questions like what's love, what's meaning, what's truth, and we have these long deep conversations. And I never knew how much I needed that. Uh, and so I think the, in now it's like part of my uh, developer world too, and I. There's so many interactions. So I'm going to tell you like my thoughts on this, like what's been my experience. And you can be like, no, Dave, that's not how we want you to interact at all. So this is how I got started. So folks that are listening to this and they're like, this is great. I love all of this. Like, what does it mean? I'm in VS Code or I'm in JetBrains. So my first exposure obviously was in the console and the, you know, the buttons over on the right. And I can just be like, I started going in and asking it what services are. So almost like talking to an SA because there's still out of the 200, what is it, 240 services, I still only know half. So I just spent the afternoon one day just asking about different things and seeing if what I thought about a service was actually what it thought about a service. And then the next thing I did, I was in VS Code. So I just did an Amazon Builder ID. And that's how I pulled down, because I already had Code Catalyst. And that's how I pulled down Q was through VS Code. And then that became my world of highlighting, having the chat in the left, being like, write unit tests for this, and, and all of that kind of interaction. But then I was like, what's the difference between Code Whisperer and Amazon Q? Because we've had the Code Whisperer uh, team on two, three times. I think it's incredible. I've gotten used to just creating comments and being like, make another one of these, especially for unit tests, right? And then it's like, boom, boom, boom. And I was like, well, what is the difference between Q and so, how I would explain it today is I look at Q as the way that I think about ideas. How do I make my code better? What am I trying to do here? How do I interact with services I've never used before? And then Code Whisperer became the actual implementation in the language that I was doing at that time. But Q and I already had a conversation about what we wanted to do. Is, is that how you would explain it and how to get started to developers? Or is that just Dave's organic way of kind of flowing through? <laughs> 
Well, I won't tell you that it's wrong for sure. <laughs> However, is most you know productive and useful for you is the way that you should use it. But probably the way that I would describe it is when you are in the flow, when you are writing your code in the actual file in the IDE, Code Whisper I find is super useful then because it's really accelerating writing the code that I was probably going to write anyway. Right. And I find it so useful in places where either there's just a lot of boilerplate code. Um, Java is a great example sometimes of like public static void main, like <laughs> Code Whisper can yep. just write all of that for me. Um, or uh, languages where I'm not... Um, I just haven't used it in a while or I'm not super familiar with it yet. Like I would definitely need it in Rust um, just to figure out what's the syntax of the for loops and all of these types of things, right? Um, but I find that it's super useful just when I'm in that flow and I, I, I kind of know what code I want to write, but I need, you know, it's so helpful for Code Whisper to accelerate me writing that. And then the queue um, chat in the IDE and in the console I find that for me, at least, I use that kind of when I'm not quite sure what code I want to write yet. Um, it's helpful to maybe for more complex tasks where I'm not, I haven't really broken it down in my head of what exactly code I want to write or um, different types of tasks where I need code explained to me, maybe. Um, so the feature that I really love in the IDE with Amazon Q is being able to select a chunk of code, right-click and say, explain this to me. Uh, that's so useful. I find that, you know, especially for things like legacy code where I'm in a code base I've never seen before, that's so useful to just kind of get that quick answer. And then I kind of get, I kind of go, oh yeah, now I get it. Now yep. I see what it's doing. Um, or more complex tasks like, um, refactoring, right? Uh, help me refactor this I, is something I can ask you to help me with. So um, really just kind of two different modes of working, maybe. I, I also want to say too, that with Q in the IDE, like I, I love all the things you're talking about as far as like highlighting code and saying, explain this to me, you know, that can really deepen your understanding of what you're doing. So that way, if you do have to troubleshoot that code, as you're building, you know what each line is doing, right? So that really can help you not only just write code faster, but also pinpoint where issues are coming from faster uh, because you're working collaboratively with Amazon Q to help you have a better handle on that code base. Um, so just kind of switching gears a little bit here. So Amazon Q is currently in preview, right? But do you have any examples of uh, like real world use cases that um, customers have relayed to you around um, how they're using Amazon Q and the types of results that they're seeing from it? Yeah, I can talk about um, especially some of the internal use and, and some of the, the customer anecdotes that I've heard. Um, one example is, um, so we rolled out Q to um, internal users at Amazon. Um, we've been using Code Whisper for a while uh, within Amazon. That's been rolled out where um, is actually is Q 
can be customized on Amazon uh, internal code. So uh, internally at Amazon, we have things like um, internal libraries that are super popular across the company, internal API frameworks that are very popular. And that uh, otherwise, you know, generic Code Whisper or Amazon Q would, wouldn't know about. And so we're able to customize Code Whisper such that it can generate our uh, our code that you know uses the, these internal libraries and frameworks. Um, and then what I've been hearing from um, customers with Q is um, a lot in the console where. You know, the the common thing I find with being in the AWS console is you tend to flip a lot between console and documentation, console, documentation. You have these like two tabs open all the time. And what, I, what I've been hearing from, from users is that it, it kind of saves them from that context switch. They're able to look at a page pull that sidebar out um, for Amazon Q and just start asking questions right there. And Amazon Q has been trained on all of our documentation, all of our um, uh, AWS SDKs, CLI, all of these things. So it can answer those questions that I would be going through and just like, searching and reading these documentation pages and really just having that context switch problem. Um, so what I, I, I hear from folks is, is feeling like I can, you know, almost stay in a, in a flow state a little bit, like different from a, from an IDE flow state, maybe where I'm, uh, you know, writing code in my file, but that flow state that just keeps you in the console and helps you um, do whatever task you wanted to do without kind of flipping back and forth. I, one of the things that I would hear from customers too, it, it's funny because this came up in the Alexa days as well, is I don't want to share this with Amazon. And I love that about, uh, you know, I've seen this in Code Whisper and I can opt whether I want to share telemetry. You know, it's one of the first questions, at least I've heard from customers is like, are you looking at my code? You know, and then, and, and so you can decide what gets shared or not. And then an, another issue that I've seen, and I think as an industry will solve this, and I have some opinions on this, I think tokenization is going to be, is going to solve this with AI is we need to basically digitalize ownership. Right now it's like in lawyers' offices and big paper, right? And we're, we're hitting that with the technology right now. But the fact that I can be like, I only want this kind of license, you know, where's this coming from? I know most of it's coming from Amazon, but I can see the actual license. I've seen that happen before where it's generating a piece of code for me and then boom, I actually get to see the license and, and where all of that is coming from. So it's like that transparency. Can you talk a little bit about the thinking around that and the team as you've built that? Because it seems like it's, you know, it was something from the beginning and understanding of people who are using this uh, and what wouldn't actually be the concerns. Where's this code coming from? And what am I actually sharing with Amazon? So it's obviously super important that you have control over what data you share, uh, what data we use to improve the services. And so it's very important that it was very important to us to, um, to give customers the option to um, opt in or opt out of sharing telemetry data, sharing um, uh, different types of data that you share with Amazon Q and, and Code Whisper with us, and then 
Um, the other one was, um, you know, being able to block access entirely is another thing where you might have some users that want to try out Amazon Q a little bit within your organization, and you might want to limit access until you get more comfortable with generative AI in general in your organization. So that was another thing that was important for us is being able to control access as well. Um, on the other side of that is um, how how we build your trust in the, um, the the code that's coming back from Amazon Q, especially the builder capabilities. Uh, and that is where um, what we call code reference tracking is so important, where we are tracking, um, is this piece of code that Code Whisper or Amazon Q just generated? significantly similar to um, <clears throat> a piece of code that might be open source licensed, um, which tends to happen with the model. But what we're able to do is um, tell you specifically, this code is licensed as this. And in Code Whisper, you can actually, as an organization and in Code Whisper um, professional, say, do not suppress all, um, do not show and suppress all code recommendations that are licensed with these, these open source licenses. So you can, you can really, you know, kind of protect your organization um, as well. And then we also have um, uh, the indemnity clauses for Code Whisper to, to protect your business as well. So, you know, all of that is really um, earning the trust of our customers with generative AI, because this is such Im uh, important technology, but also new technology that we have to be really responsible about how we use it. So that kind of makes me think about how, you know, we've been talking a lot about from the perspective of like us as individuals using Amazon Q, but this is something that's really, you know, designed for enterprise use. And I've also noticed throughout all of the uh, documentation and pages around Amazon Q, we say this is a generative AI assistant for work. So can you talk a little bit more about like what makes this special for work? Why do we use that qualifier and why is that so important? I think the first one is simply it helps us to kind of define the bounds of what it can help you with. So one, uh, one challenge that I think every generative AI application grapples with is how to implement responsible AI within their ap application. And uh, what, what that can manifest as is effectively a set of guardrails. You know, you, you guard against things like toxic content, but you also want to guard against what, what kind of content is just out of scope for you. Um, so, for example, in uh, Amazon Q Builder, we don't want to answer questions about uh, medical issues, um, sports teams, things like that, because that's not something that we have very good data on, for example, that went into training Amazon Q. And so those are those are the types of topics that, uh, you know, if you ask Amazon Q, it'll say, no, sorry, I can't I can't answer that. Um, but that's an example of of where it's important for us to be responsible in how we we use the AI. Um, Another aspect of this is um, uh, data, data access when we talk about the enterprise. So this is more a, um, an example with um, Amazon Q Business, where you can set up a conversational assistant, a chatbot that's connected to 
your internal data. Like I, I talked about, we have one that's connected to our internal wiki data, but you can also connect it to things like Jira, Salesforce, ServiceNow. And uh, one really important aspect of generative AI systems is going to be um, the security and data access controls that you put into your application. So one really important thing for um, for Amazon Q overall and, and the way that Q Business was implemented is um, respecting data access controls for the user that is using Q. So for example, if I, Claire, log into my Q Business application, I shouldn't be able to add, ask questions about content that I don't have access to. If I don't have access to a page on the wiki or if I don't have access to a page in Salesforce or Jira, I shouldn't be able to access to ask questions about it to Q. And so uh, Amazon Q generally uh, respects those data access controls and uses your own permissions as a user to access that data. So that was super important for us to, again, be responsible and, and, and respect security boundaries. Um, because it's it's such a big concern in generative AI applications. Yeah, that makes sense. And, you know, as developers, too, it's like maybe you have access to one code base, but not another code base. So uh, it's good to know that you can set up Q to respect those types of boundaries there. Um, so as you're talking about all of this, I'm thinking about how complicated it must have been to build Amazon Q <laughs> with all of these bells and whistles. So can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the challenges that were encountered when building Amazon Q? One of the interesting things about building Q from the beginning is actually how um, engineer-led it was. And what I mean by that is most of the capabilities of Q that you see today started as a prototype that an engineer built. And that's very different from how we normally do product development. You know, we start with some customer feedback and we start with um, some data and we start writing a document that proposes this new product, um, sometimes all before we even start any engineering. And it was so interesting to see how quickly we could come up with these prototypes and proofs of concept that really illustrated the power for generative AI to, to help developers. Um, even um, uh, Party Rock, which uh, launched last year, uh, is also part of my org. And that started as an engineer in my organization wanted to play with Generative AI wanted to play with these different large language models in Bedrock and created this internal LLM playground um, that helped you build these neat little apps. And he started sharing it with a couple of people. And then those people shared it with a couple of more people. And, and over time, it, it reached thousands of, of developers internally. Um, and so at that point, we thought, wait, that we, should, we should share this with some, with some uh, customers as well. So, and that, that's what led to Party Rock. Now, uh, what is and I just want to say, Claire, so I was in, you, you know this, I was in that org, and maybe this is why I went to DevRel. That is completely true. He sent it to me to go look at, and, and the leadership, just a kudos to the leadership. I'm not pandering here, but the, the, this comes out of a culture of like, let's play, experiment, and if you did something cool, show it to me. Let's not write 
you know, sometimes at Amazon, we're great at this, but sometimes we try to write our way into creating something. And I just, it was some of the coolest months that I've had in my career was just to see that. I would get Slack messages of like, look at this. And every time I would talk to somebody, they'd be like, hey, have you seen so-and-sos? And it would be an internal URL. And I'm like, this is amazing. I don't know how it's all going to come together, but it actually, you know, it it really did fuel me. It excited me about this this space. So yeah, I... I completely agree. And the just the tiny little part, obviously, I didn't have the whole visibility you did in, in actually creating this. But yeah, there was that culture, that atmosphere of just build it. Almost needed a t-shirt that's like, just build it, right? Yeah, absolutely. But then that comes to the challenges <laughs> that Morgan asked about of how do we take these prototypes, proof of concept, and take that to production, make a real production application out of it? Um, one was one thing that I realized is data is the differentiator, um, is what we like to say about generative AI in general. And it was so true with Q of what is the data that we need to make this a real production application? For example, with uh, Amazon Q being trained on AWS documentation, AWS workshops, different types of, of, of you know, AWS learning content, we need to gather all of that together to be able to train Amazon Q on it. So there's just one challenge of finding the data, getting the data, setting up those data pipelines. Um, and then the next was probably, I mentioned um, responsible AI earlier, but setting up those, those guardrails and figuring out uh, what content do we want to protect protect against both input and output, customer questions that aren't appropriate and, and model response, large language model responses that aren't appropriate. And then deciding what kinds of questions are, are in scope versus out of scope. Um, another challenge that was became really apparent is evaluating quality is actually really tough with, with generative AI. Because if you think about the way that we generally evaluate quality for, for applications as engineers, we write some integration tests that say something like, you know, given this set of API inputs, I expect this output, this set of output values from the API. And if that fails, you found a regression. Uh, how do you do that for generative AI? The output is going to be different every single time. Right. So figuring out how to um, assess the quality, find regressions has been a, a big challenge. Uh, and then I think the final one is probably monitoring, kind of similar to figuring out quality where the, the output is going to be different every time. Monitoring and understanding how users are using your system has been a challenge. What types of questions are they asking? When you're getting thousands and thousands and thousands of questions to Amazon Q, we can't go through each one uh, and, and look at them and say, oh, this is a question about EC2, or this is a question about um, how to use serverless. Uh, we have to build, uh, uh, kind of use AI actually to, to figure out how users are using the systems, what they're asking, whether they're getting, um, you know, what, what quality are the answers that they're getting? What are some areas where we need to improve? So those have all been really challenges around you know, the fact that generative AI is not 
deterministic as we're, you know, we're used to determinism in our systems. And so that's been a big challenge to grapple with. Yeah, that's definitely something that's a challenge with generative AI, you know, like you're saying across the board and just having those high quality outputs that you can rely on when we know that it's not going to be the same every single time, right? So I appreciate you diving into that. It's super fascinating just kind of peering a bit behind the curtain and figuring out, you know, how uh, you all look at these problems from an engineering perspective. So I appreciate that. All right. So some other questions that we have here for you. Um, so this one, I kind of want to go back to, we were talking about learning. And so I work in the training and certification space. So that's where my mind is at. And I work with a lot of beginners who are looking to try to break into the IT field. Maybe they want to become software engineers. Maybe they want to become solutions architects. And I'm hearing this question, which is like, is it still worth it to learn programming? Is it still worth it to learn tech, right? Because we have these emergences of generative AI technologies. And I think that, you know, throughout this conversation, we've been talking about how it's a productivity booster and a uh, productivity tool that we can use as like a teammate. But I think that the perception uh, can be more of like what David mentioned earlier, right? Which is like, oh, all code is going to be written by AI. And though nobody can you know, tell the future. We don't have a crystal ball of where things are going to go. I am curious of what your take is on this. You know, it's like, as a beginner, is it still worth learning how to code? Yes. I think that given the state of generative AI today, human review is still so important. And the way I think about it is that the person, the user of Amazon Q is still has the responsibility for the code that got generated. Meaning, you know, when, when we're working on a software development team and, and we do, you know, pull requests and code review, because we're all kind of taking a shared ownership of the code base and, and what gets committed to that code base and making sure that it's high quality. I think the same is true for users of generative AI when they're generating code. It's still so important that you review that code, you own that code, you know, you still go and put it through code review um, with your other team members. It's really, it's more kind of boosting you, not completely replacing your your ability to reason about this code. <clears throat> I think the other thing is, um, where was I going with this? You're saying that you it's important to review the code and I feel like yeah, what you're saying, Claire, <laughs> is in this, it's almost like, you know, my time before this whole DevRel thing, I spent time as a senior engineer and I was still responsible for the code of junior developers that were just starting out. And I've always looked at this as AI as the same thing, is that in the end, there's still ownership in what's being built. And I, I love that you're, you know, you're, you're pointing that out in that the steps that we take to get there, whether it's one person with 10 AIs or it's 10 people with no AI, in the end, as human beings, we're still owning the creation of that. And it's kind of like people don't care about what you know until they know you care. It's the same way with this, is that if you're not a developer and this gets generated by AI, it's a foreign language to you. <laughs> That's kind of my whole take on this as well, right? It's like I... A lot of, I, I work with people who are like, um, tell them you're busy, Morgan. Is that me? Tell them, no, I don't that know. Was gonna say that. Okay, okay. I was going to say, I don't think that was me. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, as beginner developers, just learning, it's, um, 
you know, it can be, you have to understand how to interpret the results from generative AI in order to create a fully functioning program. So my response to that is always like, I do still think that programming is worth learning. You're going to have to learn how to interpret the results that are generated from Gen AI, but you also need to know what to ask. And so knowing what to ask requires that you have an underlying technical foundation so that you can create those prompts, which kind of goes back to that prompt engineering thing we were talking about earlier. So, yeah. That's right. And and it it also comes back to what I was saying about, you know, ask, adjust, iterate. Um, when you ask generative AI, you either are not constructing the perfect prompt probably, or it's not giving the exact thing that you needed. And you always almost always need to adjust just a little bit. And that requires understanding what it was you wanted and then how you, you know, how you need to edit it to get to what you want. I could, we could talk about this forever. And I really hope, I know how busy you are, Claire, but I really hope that you can continue to spend time with us and the audience as we move, because it really is a journey. You know, Amazon's learning. We're all learning what this means. I think it means something different to each of us. But my advice would be, if you're a developer, just try it. See how it makes you feel. See how productive you feel. It's it's been amazing for me, and I am not the best developer out there by any any means. Uh, can you talk just real quick, because I know we're up on time, the future of this, you know, one of the things, and I will include this in your reInvent talk, which was amazing, is, you know, the slash dev prompt. And I felt that was just great of like, let's look at this program overall. And then Q just starts to show you kind of an outline of what it's supposed to do, and you can have it generate code and it's just kind of an incredible way of looking at software development. So a few upcoming features. Um, one is uh, Amazon Q is in preview today. So we're working on the general general availability, uh, the GA for Q. A couple uh, upcoming features are going to be um, Q code transformation today does language upgrades like Java 8 to Java 17. Uh, soon it's going to be able to do uh, migrations from .NET Framework to cross-platform .NET, which will be pretty cool. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then um, coming soon in the IDE, the Q feature development, that slash dev command. Uh, today, it generates plans, kind of helps you to plan out a development task. And soon it's going to be able to generate the code from those plans as well. Love that. Well, thank you. Thank you to you both. Like for the folks who don't know, this is not Morgan's job. This is my job. She does this, uh, you know, out of the kindness of her heart because she's a trainer and she loves this and loves developers. So thank you for taking the time. Like literally, she was in studio. A lot of you have probably seen stuff out on the AWS developers account with our video. So thank you for taking the time. And Claire, I know that was probably your chime call with how busy you are leading the direction. For folks who don't know outside Amazon, being a principal engineer at Amazon, like there's even a peer review, but being a senior principal. It is just serious talent and you have that and you're building the future of this. So the fact that Absolutely. you both took time to talk to me and, and share it with the audience, I really appreciate both of you. So thank you. Well, thank thanks you. for That's having been me. been a great conversation. Yeah, awesome. And also one more thing, just anybody who hasn't watched Claire's reInvent presentation on Amazon Q, definitely check it out. And uh, Claire, thanks for joining us and talking with us today. And thanks for having me, Dave. And I'll, I'll include that link to the talk.